Section 11 of Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 1, by Washington Irving. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Maria Casper. Knickerbocker's History of New York, Volume 1, by Washington Irving. Book 2, Chapter 1. Book Two, Treating of the First Settlement of the Province of New Nederlands. Chapter One. My great grandfather, by the mother's side, Hermanus van Klaterkop, when employed to build the large stone church at Rotterdam, which stands about three hundred yards to your left after you turn off from the Boomkees, and which is so conveniently constructed that all the zealous Christians of Rotterdam prefer sleeping through a sermon there to any other church in the city. My great-grandfather, I say, when employed to build that famous church, did in the first place send to Delft for a box of long pipes. Then, having purchased a new spitting-box and a hundredweight of the best Virginia, he sat himself down and did nothing for the space of three months, but smoke most laboriously. Then did he spend full three months more in trudging on foot and voyaging in the Trekschuit from Rotterdam to Amsterdam, to Delft, to Harlem, to Leiden, to The Hague, knocking his head and breaking his pipe against every church in his road. Then did he advance gradually nearer and nearer to Rotterdam, until he came in full sight of the identical spot whereon the church was to be built. Then did he spend three months longer in walking round it and round it, contemplating it, first from one point of view and then from another. Now he would be paddled by it on the canal. Now would he peep at it through a telescope from the other side of the Meuse and now would he take a bird's-eye glance at it from the top of one of those gigantic windmills which protect the gates of the city. The good folks of the place were on the tiptoe of expectation and impatience. Notwithstanding all the turmoil of my great-grandfather, not a symptom of the church was yet to be seen. They even began to fear it would never be brought into the world, but that its great projector would lie down and die in labor of the mighty plan he had conceived. At length, having occupied twelve good months in puffing and paddling and talking and walking, having travelled all over Holland and even taken a peep into France and Germany, having smoked five hundred and ninety-nine pipes and three hundredweight of the best Virginia tobacco, my great-grandfather gathered together all that knowing and industrious class of citizens who prefer attending to anybody's business sooner than their own, and having pulled off his coat and five pair of breeches, he advanced sturdily up and laid the cornerstone of the church, in the presence of the whole multitude, just at the commencement of the thirteenth month. In a similar manner, and with the example of my worthy ancestor full before my eyes, have I proceeded in writing this most authentic history. The honest Rotterdammers no doubt thought my great-grandfather was doing nothing at all to the purpose, while he was making such a world of prefatory bustle about the building of his church. 
and many of the ingenious inhabitants of this fair city will unquestionably suppose that all the preliminary chapters with the discovery population and final settlement of america were totally irrelevant and superfluous and that the main business the history of new york is not a jot more advanced than if i had never taken up my pen never were wise people more mistaken in their conjectures in consequence of going to work slowly and deliberately the church came out of my grandfather's hands one of the most sumptuous goodly and glorious edifices in the known world excepting that like our magnificent capital at washington it was begun on so grand a scale that the good folk could not afford to finish more than the wing of it so likewise i trust if ever i am able to finish this work on the plan i have commenced of which in simple truth i sometimes have my doubts it will be found that i have pursued the latest rules of my art as exemplified in the writings of all the great american historians and wrought a very large history out of a small subject which nowadays is considered one of the great triumphs of historic skill to proceed then with the thread of my story in the ever memorable year of our lord sixteen o nine on a saturday morning the five and twentieth day of march old style did that worthy and irrecoverable discoverer as he has justly been called master henry hudson set sail from holland in a stout vessel called the half moon being employed by the dutch east india company to seek a northwest passage to china henry or as the dutch historians call him hendrick hudson was a seafaring man of renown who had learned to smoke tobacco under sir walter raleigh and is said to have been the first to introduce it into holland which gained him much popularity in that country and caused him to find great favor in the eyes of their high mightinesses the lords states-general and also of the honorable west india company he was a short square brawny old gentleman with a double chin a mastiff mouth and a broad copper nose which was supposed in those days to have acquired its fiery hue from the constant neighborhood of his tobacco pipe he wore a true andrea ferrara tucked in a leathern belt and a commodore's cocked hat on one side of his head he was remarkable for always jerking up his breeches when he gave out his orders and his voice sounded not unlike the brattling of a tin trumpet owing to the number of hard nor'westers which he had swallowed in the course of his seafaring such was hendrick hudson of whom we have heard so much and know so little and i have been thus particular in his description for the benefit of modern painters and statuaries that they may represent him as he was and not according to their common custom with modern heroes make him look like a caesar or marcus aurelius or the apollo of belvedere as chief mate and favorite companion the commodore chose master robert jewett of limehouse in england by some his name has been spelt chewit and ascribed to the circumstance of his having been the first man that ever chewed tobacco but this i believe to be a mere flippancy more especially as certain of his progeny are living at this day who write their names jewett he was an old comrade and early schoolmate of the great hudson with whom he had often played truant and sailed chip-boats in a neighboring pond when they were little boys 
from whence it is said the commodore first derived his bias towards a seafaring life certain it is that the old people about limehouse declared robert jewett to be an unlucky urchin prone to mischief that would one day or other come to the gallows he grew up as boys of that kind often grow up a rambling heedless varlet tossed about in all quarters of the world meeting with more perils and wonders than did sinbad the sailor without growing a whit more wise prudent or ill-natured under every misfortune he comforted himself with a quid of tobacco and the truly philosophic maxim that it will all be the same thing a hundred years hence he was skilled in the art of carving anchors in true lovers knots on the bulkheads and quarter railings and was considered a great wit on board ship in consequence of his playing pranks on everybody around and now and then even making a wry face at old hendrick when his back was turned to this universal genius we are indebted for many particulars concerning this voyage of which he wrote a history at the request of the commodore who had an unconquerable aversion to writing himself from having received so many floggings about it when at school to supply the deficiencies of master jewett's journal which is written with true log-book brevity i have availed myself of diverse family traditions handed down from my great-great-grandfather who accompanied the expedition in the capacity of cabin-boy from all that i can learn few incidents worthy of remark happened in the voyage and it mortifies me exceedingly that i have to admit so noted an expedition into my work without making any more of it suffice it to say the voyage was prosperous and tranquil the crew being a patient people much given to slumber and vacuity and but little troubled with the disease of thinking a malady of the mind which is a sure breeder of discontent hudson had laid in an abundance of gin and sauerkraut and every man was allowed to sleep quietly at his post unless the wind blew true it is some slight dissatisfaction was shown on two or three occasions at certain unreasonable conduct of commodore hudson thus for instance he forbore to shorten sail when the wind was light and the weather serene which was considered among the most experienced dutch seamen as certain weather breeders or prognostics that the weather would change for the worse he acted moreover in direct contradiction to that ancient and sage rule of the dutch navigators who always took in sail at night put the helm aport and turned in by which precaution they had a good night's rest were sure of knowing where they were the next morning and stood but little chance of running down a continent in the dark he likewise prohibited the seamen from wearing more than five jackets and six pair of breeches under pretense of rendering them more alert and no man was permitted to go aloft and hand in sails with a pipe in his mouth as is the invariable dutch custom at the present day all these grievances though they might ruffle for a moment the constitutional tranquillity of the honest dutch tars made but transient impression they ate hugely drank profusely and slept immeasurably and being under the especial guidance of providence the ship was safely conducted to the coast of america where after sundry unimportant touchings and standings off and on she at length on the fourth day of september 
entered that majestic bay which at this day expands its ample bosom before the city of new york and which had never before been visited by any european footnote true it is and i am not ignorant of the fact that in a certain apocryphal book of voyages compiled by one hakluyt is to be found a letter written to francis i by one giovanni or john verrazzani on which some writers are inclined to found a belief that this delightful bay had been visited nearly a century previous to the voyage of the enterprising hudson now this albeit it has met with the countenance of certain very judicious and learned men i hold in utter disbelief and that for various good and substantial reasons first because on strict examination it will be found that the description given by this verrazzani applies about as well to the bay of new york as it does to my nightcap secondly because that this john verrazzani for whom i already begin to feel a most bitter enmity is a native of florence and everybody knows the crafty wiles of those losel florentines by which they filched away the laurels from the brows of the immortal colon vulgarly called columbus and bestowed them on their officious townsman amerigo vespucci and i make no doubt they are equally ready to rob the illustrious hudson of the credit of discovering this beauteous island adorned by the city of new york and placing it beside their usurped discovery of south america and thirdly i award my decision in favor of the pretensions of hendrick hudson inasmuch as his expedition sailed from holland being truly and absolutely a dutch enterprise and though all the proofs in the world were introduced on the other side i would set them at naught as undeserving my attention if these three reasons be not sufficient to satisfy every burgher of this ancient city all i can say is they are degenerate descendants from their venerable dutch ancestors and totally unworthy the trouble of convincing thus therefore the title of hendrick hudson to his renowned discovery is fully vindicated End footnote. it has been traditionary in our family that when the great navigator was first blessed with a view of this enchanting island he was observed for the first and only time in his life to exhibit strong symptoms of astonishment and admiration he is said to have turned to master jewett and uttered these remarkable words while he pointed towards this paradise of the new world <clears throat> see there and thereupon as was always his way when he was uncommonly pleased he did puff out such clouds of dense tobacco smoke that in one minute the vessel was out of sight of land and master jewett was fain to wait until the winds dispersed this impenetrable fog it was indeed as my great-grandfather used to say though in truth i never heard him for he died as might be expected before i was born it was indeed a spot on which the eye might have reveled for ever in ever new and never-ending beauties the island of manahatta spread wide before them like some sweet vision of fancy or some fair creation of industrious magic its hills of smiling green swelled gently one above another crowned with lofty trees of luxuriant growth some pointing their tapering foliage towards the clouds which were gloriously transparent 
and others loaded with a verdant burden of clambering vines bowing their branches to the earth that was covered with flowers on the gentle declivities of the hills were scattered in gay profusion the dogwood the sumac and the wild briar whose scarlet berries and white blossoms glowed brightly among the deep green of the surrounding foliage and here and there a curling column of smoke rising from the little glens that opened along the shore seemed to promise the weary voyagers a welcome at the hands of their fellow-creatures as they stood gazing with entranced attention on the scene before them a red man crowned with feathers issued from one of these glens and after contemplating in silent wonder the gallant ship as she sat like a stately swan swimming on a silver lake sounded the war-whoop and bounded into the woods like a wild deer to the utter astonishment of the phlegmatic dutchmen who had never heard such a noise or witnessed such a caper in their whole lives of the transactions of our adventurers with the savages and how the latter smoked copper pipes and ate dried currants how they brought great store of tobacco and oysters how they shot one of the ship's crew and how he was buried i shall say nothing being that i consider them unimportant to my history after tarrying a few days in the bay in order to refresh themselves after their seafaring our voyagers weighed anchor to explore a mighty river which emptied into the bay this river it is said was known among the savages by the name of the chatamook though we are assured in an excellent little history published in sixteen seventy four by john jocelyn gentleman that it was called the mohegan and master richard bloom who wrote some time afterwards asserts the same so that i very much incline in favour of the opinion of these two honest gentlemen be this as it may up this river did the adventurous hendrick proceed little doubting but it would turn out to be the much-looked-for passage to china footnote this river is likewise laid down in ogilvy's map as manhattan nort montaigne and mauritius river End footnote. the journal goes on to make mention of diverse interviews between the crew and the natives in the voyage up the river but as they would be impertinent to my history i shall pass over them in silence except the following dry joke played off by the old commodore and his schoolfellow robert jewett which does such vast credit to their experimental philosophy that i cannot refrain from inserting it our master and his mate determined to try some of the chief men of the country whether they had any treachery in them so they took them down into the cabin and gave them so much wine and aquavitae that they were all merry and one of them had his wife with him which sat so modestly as any of our country women would do in a strange place in the end one of them was drunk which had been aboard of our ship all the time that we had been there and that was strange to them for they could not tell how to take it having satisfied himself by this ingenious experiment that the natives were an honest social race of jolly roisterers who had no objection to a drinking bout and were very merry in their cups the old commodore chuckled hugely to himself and thrusting a double quid of tobacco in his cheek directed master jewett to have it carefully recorded for the satisfaction of all the natural philosophers of the university of leyden which done he proceeded on his voyage with great self-complacency 
After sailing, however, about a hundred miles up the river, he found the watery world around him began to grow more shallow and confined, the current more rapid and perfectly fresh, phenomenon not uncommon in the ascent of rivers, but which puzzled the honest Dutchman prodigiously. A consultation was therefore called, and having deliberated full six hours, they were brought to a determination by the ships running aground, whereupon they unanimously concluded that there was but little chance of getting to China in this direction. A boat, however, was dispatched to explore higher up the river, which on its return confirmed the opinion. Upon this the ship was warped off and put about with great difficulty, being, like most of her sex, exceedingly hard to govern, and the adventurous Hudson, according to the account of my great-great-grandfather, returned down the river, with a prodigious flea in his ear. Being satisfied that there was little likelihood of getting to China, unless, like the blind man, he returned from whence he set out and took a fresh start, he forthwith recrossed the sea to Holland, where he was received with great welcome by the Honorable East India Company, who were very much rejoiced to see him come back safe with their ship, and at a large and respectable meeting of the first merchants and burgomasters of Amsterdam, it was unanimously determined that as a munificent reward for the eminent services he had performed, and the important discovery he had made, the great river Mohegan should be called after his name, and it continues to be called Hudson River unto this very day. End of section 11